Hey, good morning. Um, for 35 years, I've been standing in front of audiences sharing what the Lord wants people to do. And you can imagine, I'm sure, that from time to time, people have come back to me and said, I can't do that. What do you think, if I had to rank the number one thing that people have said to me as followers of Christ that they cannot do, what might you think it is? I mean, some of you might say, well, it's that thing about money, you know, where God says, bring a tenth, and people say, I just can't do that. I might have heard that a few times. Um, maybe someone would think it's joining a church, and someone would say, I just can't do that because I come from a different kind of background. Well, let me just cut right to the chase. It's real easy for me to tell you what the number one thing people have told me through the years that they absolutely cannot do. And it has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with religion. People have told me, many times, wonderful people have said to me, I can't do this forgiving thing. Because the Bible tells us that as a follower of Christ, we must forgive everyone who hurts us. In the Lord's Prayer, that prayer that we pray every day, do you remember that the Bible tells us Jesus said to pray, forgive us our sins as we have already forgiven those who sin against us. In fact, we can never ask for forgiveness of sin until we've already forgiven the people who've hurt us. And that's a prayer that you have to pray every day, right? That's not a weekly prayer, an annual prayer. So it's not like God says you don't have to forgive, and he doesn't even tell us that we can wait because every 24 hours we have to pray the prayer. We should pray the prayer, Lord, forgive me of my sins as I've already forgiven everybody who's hurt me. So people will come to me from time to time and they'll say, I can't do that forgiveness thing. I was just hurt too badly. Well, in our, in, our, in our story today, in Matthew chapter 18, the apostle Peter is going to ask Jesus about this because he's struggling just like you and I struggle to forgive people who have hurt us. He was struggling too. So he came to the Lord and he asked him a question. He said, if somebody, and he used his brother, so I have a hunch it was a, it was a family kind of thing. And by the way, sometimes the hardest hurts to heal are the hurts that are with the people closest to you, right? Maybe husband and wife, parents, siblings. Peter said, if my brother messes with me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Now, in Peter's time, the rabbis taught that you could forgive someone three times, and that was it. It's kind of like three strikes and you're out. You know, if you do it to me once, I'll forgive you. Do it to me twice, I'll forgive you. The third time I check that box, you're toast. And that's what the rabbis taught. So Peter here is really ginning up, and he's going to the Lord, and he's saying, how many times, I know that you're asking us to go beyond what everybody else is doing, so let me ask you a question, Jesus. How many times do I have to forgive? How about seven? Now, in in the spiritual numerology in the Bible, the numbers in the Bible, seven is the number of perfection or completion. So Peter is just like shooting for this seven figure, figuring that's got to be it. You know, there's seven days of creation, you know. Peter's thinking... Seven times, surely, if my brother messes with me seven times, on the seventh time I can say, I don't have to forgive you anymore, I can bust you in the mouth. See, that's the deal. A lot of us read this scripture and we think, wow, man, Peter's really going out there seven times. Now, the Bible never says Peter actually forgave anybody seven times. He was just using that hypothetically. Like a lot of us Christ followers, when we talk about following Christ, it's in hypothetical terms. It has a hard time seeping into the groundwater of our lives. Well, Peter said seven times. Can, is that it? Do I, do I stop at seven times? And the, the cool thing is Jesus at that point fires him off a text message, a parable. And I'd like for you to read the whole thing with me if you don't mind. If you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 18. Let's, let's take a look at what Jesus said. It's a great story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided 
to bring his accounts up to date with servants who have borrowed money from him. Now, a lot of you lead businesses. Maybe you've got a small business. Maybe you have a big business. You know what this is like, man. You've got outstanding accounts. You've got people that should have paid you on time. You sent them an invoice, you know, and you've waited and they've gone past the 60 days and the 90 days or whatever. And, you, and so you're going to go clean up your accounts. And this guy is a king and he's doing that. He's checking out to see who owes him money. And so he's bringing his accounts up to date. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, all the translations struggle with this particular text because the amount is so massive, it's hard for us to imagine how a servant could wind up owing anybody or a king this amount of money. So what I did was I, I did the multiplication. I took the conservative weight of this particular measurement I converted into pounds and then ounces and took the price of gold, which is, if you're trading, you know the price of gold is way up right now. So what I did was I did a, I did a current analysis of how much this guy owed. Are you ready for this? He owed six for the price of gold today. Actually, a little bit over $6.4 billion. You heard me right. B, billion. Six point four billion dollars. Now, if I'm listening to Jesus' story in that contemporaneous setting, I'm going, come again, excuse me, because some scholars have said there wasn't that much money in circulation at the time. But this guy owed $6.4 billion. How a guy who makes minimum wage winds up owing $6.4 billion. I've wrestled with this all my life, and all I can figure out, he must have broken something really, really expensive. That's all I can figure out. Well, you know, you look at the first part of verse 25, and, you, and you're knowing it should be in the Bible, but you're saying, I really didn't have to see this. He couldn't pay. <laughs> he could See, that didn't say he wouldn't. Didn't say he's, you know, it says he couldn't pay. A guy making minimum wage, owing $6.4 billion. I mean, he could not pay. So, his master, the king, ordered that he be sold. There was no bankruptcy. There's no chapter 11 of those days. He, the king ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned was to be liquefied to see if there was any way to just recoup a little bit of investment that had been lost there. Verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. I, I just, I always tell you these, I, I, I'm just praying the Lord kept all this on videotape or on DVD or something, you know, because I want to see this. Because this guy, you know, when he walks up the steps of the palace, he owes $6.4 billion. He can't pay. There's no way in the world he could pay this debt. I mean, he's dead me. And so he knows what's going to happen. And these days, it was very tough. There, there were no social services, no bankruptcy. The only thing that could happen is the king would sell this guy as a slave, sell his wife as a slave, sell his kids as slaves, and everything they would ever earn throughout their lifetime would come back to this king. This guy was going to lose everything for the rest of his life. And he goes before the king, and he falls down, and he says, Hey, ha- have mercy with me, and I will pay you everything. That, that was an irrational request. Because here's the deal. I just kind of did some math here. And thinking about at what he made, 
If the debt had stayed static, and for all of us who have borrowed money, we know that if, you know, amounts that you borrow don't stay static. There's such a thing as interest. How many of you know that? Everybody who has a mortgage. But if it had stayed static, think about how rational this thing is. The guy's saying, hey, if you'll just give me some time, give me some time, I'll pay you everything back. I, did, I was kind of looking at this. He could have paid everything back if the debt had stayed the same had he lived for 120,000 years. But as you and I know, debts don't stay static. So this guy walks in and says, have pity. And the king does have mercy on him. And he says, you know what? I'm tearing up the invoice. I'm writing this off. You don't owe me anything. I would love to, like I say, see this on videotape because I can see this guy walking up the steps of the palace knowing that his whole life is about to come apart. I see him as he comes down out of the, out of the palace. I mean, he is so excited. He's on the phone calling his wife. Hey, babe, guess what? We are debt-free. I mean, he was totally jazzed about that. I mean, just like, I mean, think about this. We don't know $6.4 billion, but just suppose somebody called you and said, hey, you know what? Your mortgage has been paid. Everything's paid off. You don't have a mortgage payment next month. I'll tell you what, that would cause some of us to turn into full-blown Pentecostals right there. <laughs> do you get the irrational feeling here? I mean, this guy owes an irrational debt. How do you wind up owing $6.4 billion debt he couldn't pay? Tell him the king he'll pay him back. That's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. The king forgiving him of everything, that's irrational. That doesn't make any sense. But now Jesus is going to carry us into a whole new zone, and he's going to show us something that's really irrational. Verse 26, or, or 28 rather. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant, a guy who worked with him, a guy who made minimum wage, who owed him a few thousand dollars. Did the math on this, he owed him $4,600 by today's standards here in Kansas. He grabbed him by the throat. I mean, he didn't just say, I'd like to ask you when you can pay me back. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison, until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, Hey, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. Now, let's go back. Remember, Peter said, when can I stop forgiving? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. You and I know that story is about something more than a guy who owed a king money and, you know, a couple of servants having it out with each other. There's symbolism here. This is a metaphorical story. Jesus is like assigning status and symbol to all these people in the story. So who is the king in the story? No doubt about it, the king is God. Who is the servant? That's me. That's you. Guess what the unpayable debt is? The unpayable debt is all the things that we've done to God. All the thoughts that we've had that are wrong, all the things we've said that were wrong, the deeds that we've done that are wrong, and don't unscrew those halos and don't look at me with that holy haze. I want to tell you something. If you knew everything that I'd ever thought or every attitude I'd ever held, you wouldn't listen to me speak this morning. And if I knew everything about you, I probably wouldn't talk to you. I've always said, if you knew everything about the person sitting next to you, everything he or she had ever done, you'd get up and move. And if they knew everything about you, they would get up and move. So why don't we just all say what the Bible says this morning? 
all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. And in the same chapter, the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. So, Mark, that kind of gives me trouble because I know some people that are good. Wait a minute. You know what we know? We know people that are good in comparison to other people. God doesn't evaluate us on the basis of how we are because you say, well, I'm a better guy than my neighbor. God's measuring you against his perfect standard of his son, Jesus. And the truth is, if you could look at my life and see everything that I've ever done on every day, every bad attitude I've ever had, every bad word I've ever said, every lie I've ever told, if you could know everything about me, you would know what I'm about to tell you is true. If it were not for the grace of God, I would split hell wide open. I, I thank the Lord every morning that I'm not in hell because I deserve to go to hell. And I don't know where this finds us because some of us may be better than others. You know, I may have scored a 30 on the test and you may have scored an 86 and somebody else here might even be a 93. But at the end of the day, it requires perfection to go to heaven. And there ain't nobody perfect. Now, as I look at my life, because every once in a while, forgive me for breaking the sentence, but every once in a while when I tell people about Jesus and what he can do for people, people say something like this to me. You know what? I'm going to stand on my own record. And if I've done something before God, I'll pay for it. Do you know the only way I can pay for my sin? There's only one way. The only way I can pay for my sin is to lose everything and go to a place the Bible calls hell and spend eternity there. That's the only way I can pay for my sin. Did you hear Jesus' story? That little fine fine point where the amount he mentioned, there wasn't even that much currency in circulation. You say, well, Mark, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'm going to do better, and I'm going to make a new start, and I'm going to quit using drugs, and I'm going to quit lying, I'm going to quit sleeping with people that's not my, my wife, and I'm going to start going to church, and I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to do better, but what are you going to do about the past? See, what Jesus is saying is there's not enough good works in circulation for you to pay for your sin. It's an unpayable debt. And I'll tell you what happened in my life, and I'm guessing this happened in a lot of your lives out there. There came a point when I realized the debt was unpayable. You know why I always tell you I don't like religion? You know why I don't like religion? Religion is the mantra of that guy who knelt before the king and said, I will pay you back. That's religion. Religion says, I'll pay you back. But how can you pay back an unpayable debt? I want to tell you what, you can't join enough churches. You can't be baptized enough times. You can't go through enough masses. You can't, you know, you can't give enough money. There's no way through the religion gig that you can deal with your sin. I mean, it's like saying, this guy who makes minimum wage, I'll pay you back the $6.4 billion. There's no way we can pay for it. When I was eight years old on the playground at Forest Hill Elementary School in Fort Worth, Texas, I realized I couldn't pay it back. My dad had preached the previous day that if you would ask Jesus, he would forgive you of all your sin. And on the playground of my school, I've been over a water fountain as I've been over to get a drink. I said the same thing that the servant in our story did. I said to the Lord, have mercy on me. And the Lord said, you're forgiven. Everything I've ever done washed away. Have you done that? Was there a point? See, I just rattled some of your worlds today because some of you are thinking, well, I'm, I'm a religious person. But for the first time, you just realized you're the guy telling the king, I'll pay you everything back, and you can't pay it back. And it just dawned, and it just came to you. What you need to do is to go before the king and say, King, Lord God, have mercy on me. I can't 
ever pay it back. There has never, I have, you know, I love, I love what I get to do. This, this is my favorite part of what I do, what I'm about to tell you right now. There has never been one person in history, regardless of what he or she has ever done, there has never been, listen, take your Bible, show me otherwise, there has never been one person who came to God and said, have mercy on me, that God said no. As far as I can tell, as far as I can see, Every time anybody, I'm talking about murderers, I'm talking about adulterers, I'm talking about hookers, I'm talking about people who were the worst of the worst, I'm talking about liars and thieves and scoundrels. The Bible tells us their stories over and over, but they came to the God of creation and they said, have mercy on me. And God said, you are free to dance, you are free to live, you are free to sing. All your sins washed away. The rest of Jesus' story is not so pretty. Here is a guy who goes to the cross. Here is a guy who looks Jesus in the eye by faith and says, Lord, I can't pay my own debt. I'm sorry. I know I can't do it. So have mercy on me. And the Lord says, you're forgiven. You're free to go. But then we go out and we find somebody who's done something wrong to us. And we say, I've been forgiven, but I can't forgive. I've been forgiven of an unpayable debt. But, you know, $4,600, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to me. might not be to you, but that's a lot of money to me. $4,600 could use that. But, you know, at the end of the day, he could have afforded to forgiven that. I mean, a guy forgiven a $6.4 billion, don't you think he could have forgiven $4,600? But it wasn't just the fact that he wouldn't let the man out of his debt. It was the way he treated him. He grabbed him by the throat, took him down to jail, and he said, I demand this man be treated in a different way than I was treated by the king. What's the point of Jesus' text message? You ready for this? He's talking to all of us who have been forgiven, and he's telling us it's much easier for us to forget how much we owed God, and it's easy to remember. It's easy to forget how much we owe God. It's easy also to remember how people have hurt us. Sometimes we want to forget what we owe God, but we want to remember what people owe us. And we say, I can't forgive. Maybe you're listening to me today and you're saying, Mark, you just don't understand. You're right. I forgive most people. I forgive 98% of the people who hurt me. But there's one person I can't forgive. I cannot forgive what my dad did to me. I cannot forgive what my mother did to me. I cannot forgive how I was treated where I work. There's just bad stuff, Mark, you just don't understand. God doesn't understand. If he knew how bad it was... He would understand why I can't forgive. Without minimizing any hurt that you've ever suffered in life, let me give you four reasons today why all of us should forgive everybody in our lives who have hurt us. Here's the first one. Here's what I've discovered. It is heavy to carry a grudge. Have you discovered that? It's, you know, it's heavy to stay mad. You've got to work it up. You've got to think about it, you know? Because here's the thing. It's like... You know, I got a lot to do today, and I got a lot of work to do, and I got people depending upon me, but oh, there's that guy over there. And it's like, I got to go over here and carry this grudge for a while. And then I got to go out to the trash can and, and smell the trash again, smell what's been done to me. Oh, yeah, I got it ginned up now. I, now I'm upset again. That's a heavy way to live your life. 
And, and I want to encourage you today, if you're, if you're holding any kind of anger against somebody, let it go because you don't want to keep smelling the trash. Reason number two, and a big one, why it's really important to forgive everybody in your life is here's the move. When I consider myself, when I'm, when I'm not forgiving somebody, I'm considering myself a victim. And I don't want to be a victim, you know? I mean, it's true, you've been victimized or else you wouldn't have any need to forgive somebody. So yes, you have been victimized, but I don't want to go living through life as a victim. You know, I don't want to go around with a V on my forehead because, you know, a V is real close to another letter here. I don't, I don't want to go around with the victim thing on my forehead, you know. I meet people like this. I mean, you meet them five minutes. You know, already know they're a perpetual victim. And they will tell you the slings and the arrows and the hurts that people have perpetrated on them. And they go around and they just are this perpetual victim. And here's the thing. If you and I let unforgiveness in our lives at any point, there will be that victimhood that will mess with us every day of our lives. And I want to plead with you today, if there's somebody you can't forgive, and some of you are surprised right now because you're thinking, wow, Mark, you're, I, I'm thinking I should, you know, you're saying I should forgive. I was thinking about the benefit of the other person, but you're talking about my personal benefit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I was mad at somebody here today, somebody had hurt me, and I said to them, I'm going to put you in the handcuffs, and I clapped the cuffs on them, and you walked in not knowing what happened, you wouldn't know who was in the handcuffs. You wouldn't know who was holding who. And if you won't forgive somebody, yes, you've got them in the cuffs, but they have you in the cuffs too. By the way, how many of us have been mad at somebody and that person didn't even know we were mad at them? Man, they're enjoying life. And we're stewing and fretting and smelling the trash. So if, you, if there's anybody in your life you can't forgive, you need to forgive them, number one, you know, so that, so that you can get rid of that heavy burden. And then beyond that, you don't want to be a perpetual victim. But boy, here's the one that's so big to me. Number three, do you think God loves you unconditionally? Yes, he does. But not everything about God is unconditional. Do you know that? There are times when things that God tells us that he will do for us are conditional. Listen to what God says. He says, if I don't forgive everybody from my heart, God will not forgive me. Now, maybe you can afford that. I can't. I do so many wrong things, and I fail to do so many things that I should do. I have to go before the Lord all the time and say, Lord, you know, help me restore the relationship. I know I did wrong today. I'm sorry for that. I didn't mean to get mad. I didn't mean to lose my temper. I didn't, I didn't mean to have that bad attitude. And God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to fret and complain and worry and I just lost it, and I shouldn't have done it. I mean, I have to go before God all the time. But here's the deal. If there's somebody in my life I can't forgive, I go before God and I say, Lord, I need you to forgive me of this because I did really wrong today. And God said, we're closed for business. There's actually a verse, husbands, really all antenna up on this. There's a place where the Bible tells husbands to treat their wives well so that their prayers will be answered. What God is saying is, look, if you don't forgive the wife that I've given you, God is saying, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. And somebody could say, well, Mark, I can't forgive. If you just heard what I just shared with you from the Bible, I think you will have to admit with me you can't afford not to forgive. Because God is saying this. This is one standard that Jesus just lays down. This is like one track that he lays down over and over and over. He says the standard we use on people is the standard that God will use on us. He's saying if you forgive, I'll forgive. If you give, I'll give. If you're loving, I'll be gracious and loving. 
Number four, the fourth reason why I would encourage you to forgive everybody in your life who has hurt you. And at first, this might not sound big, but I can tell you in my life, to me, this has become the most important. When you and I forgive for just a brief moment, we get to be just a little bit like God. You know what I've discovered? When I don't forgive someone, someone has hurt me, and I replay it, and it's just like this loop that keeps playing in my mind what's been done. It makes me feel awful. By the way, here's the thing I would say to anybody who won't forgive. If there's somebody that you won't forgive in your life, and you keep that going for years, there will be a moment when you'll look inside your heart, and you'll see an ugliness that you didn't think could exist inside of you. But there's something that happens when we forgive. There's such a release and there's such a joy. For just a moment, I get to be like my father. I mean, you say, well, Mark, that person, that person is still the same. Hey, we're not talking about them. We're talking about you and me and God. See, I can afford to forgive. I had that $6.4 billion debt, and I came to the Lord, and I said, have mercy on me, and he had mercy on me. And because I have been forgiven such a massive debt, I can now afford to forgive those who have hurt me. And I'll tell you, there is a joyous release. Listen, some of you today, your life has been filled with anger, and the truth is you've never connected the dots. You think, you think that anger is because of this and because of that, and you could just... Create a whole litany for me of things that cause you to be angry. But at the end of the day, you're angry because you you won't forgive somebody. And there's just this infection that's in your soul. And, And what you don't know is that you could be released. You could be free. And you could get to be a little bit like your father in heaven because you can say, you know what, I forgive you because my heavenly father forgave me. I can afford to forgive. And maybe that person will never get it. And maybe that person, hey, for some of you, that person is dead. That person died a long time ago. But you come to the God and you say, I'm going to forgive. Now, what is forgiveness now? Because, you know, people say things like, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Or I'm going to forgive, but I'm going to, like, chalk it up and remember it. What is forgiveness? And some people think, well, I can't forgive because if I forgive, that person's going to get off scot-free. We don't understand forgiveness. Let me see if I can help us understand it today. You know what forgiveness is? It's just tearing up the invoice. If someone has done wrong, they will answer to God. They will deal with God. Listen, God knows how to deal with people who do wrong. And, and, and so what you do when, when someone has hurt you, you just say, I'm tearing up the invoice. Any, anybody ever owe you money and they don't pay it? It's like every time you see them, it's like, oh boy, you know? that person. It's like you see them coming and you see an invoice walking at you, you know? <laughs> You know, a lot of times companies, when they're, when they're, when they're doing this the kind of thing, they realize this is a debt. It's never going to get paid. We're tired of looking at it on our books. We're just going to write it off. We're going to tear out, tear out the invoice. That's what happens when we forgive. We just write it off. And we tear up the invoice. And here's what we say. We say to the person who has hurt you, you don't owe me anymore. I'm not out to collect the debt. You don't owe me anymore. I have been to see the king, and I have resources that you don't know anything about, and I have been forgiven, and I have a relationship with the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me, and I'm way, 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 way too busy to hold a grudge, and I'm way, way, way too busy to 
smell the trash. So you know what? I'm not angry at you anymore. I'm a sinner too. And I'm forgiving you. I'm releasing you from the debt. I'm letting you out of the handcuffs. I'm turning you over to God. I'm setting you free. That's what forgiveness is. Now, (laughs) you know, the thing about forgiveness, I've brought a lot of messages on it. I know how a lot of us respond. I'll think about that. We're lying. What that means is that busted me pretty good. But when I go home and I go back over what's been done to me, hmm, I may get right back where I was. Thank you, Pastor. I'll think about that. I'll file that away. Do you know when you forgive? There's only one time to forgive. It's right now. Right now. Forgiveness is a choice. So we're going to do something crazy this morning. When you came in, you received a card, blank card. For some of you today, when I talked, God brought something to your head, and you're thinking, you know what? I haven't set that person free yet. Maybe that person's in heaven. Maybe that person's dead. Maybe that person hates my guts. But you know what? I can't afford to carry that around anymore. I thought about something last night when I was speaking in the Saturday night service. I thought about something right there on the spot. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now today. I'm going to ask you if, if you're willing, and only if you're willing, and only if you mean business, if you're willing to forgive that, I want you to bring your card, and I want you to lay it down at the cross where you've been forgiven. You don't have to write anything sensitive on that card. I mean, you can write it if you want to. If it makes you feel stronger, you can write it. If not, you can just write a code word that means something to you that won't mean anything to anybody else, but it's a code word. Or you can just bring a blank card and just say, by, I know what's on the card. <laughs> I'm not writing anything down, but I know what should be there. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, if you're willing to forgive, not to just think this message over. I'm going to ask you right now to make the choice to do that and come to the place where you've been forgiven, the cross where you came with your unpayable debt. And I'm going to ask you to do, get out of your seat. It's a little uncomfortable. I know. I know. But it's big. You know what? Some of you could be free for the first time in your life if you would do that today. Just whatever God's leading you to do right now. Just take your card and lay it at the foot of the cross. While we're just in a spirit of prayer, it could be that someone would say, well, Mark, a few moments ago you talked about asking God to release me from my debt. And if you've never done that, I don't know of any better time than right now. The most wonderful thing can happen to you is not to win the lottery. The most wonderful thing can happen to you is to go before God with an unpayable debt and to walk away scot-free. Not just for this life, but for eternity. Sometimes we call that salvation. Jesus called it being born over again, starting over again. Hey, that's a great term, isn't it? Because listen, if you've lived a life with a debt of sin hanging on your neck, you don't know what living is yet. God wants you to experience real living. That's why Jesus called it being born again, starting life over. And hey, you can start over God's child, innocent, even though we're guilty. Now, you know, when you and I forgave, if for some of us, it costs something to forgive today. I mean, these cards, all these cards that are here in this service and last night in the 11 o'clock service, all these cards represent some cost. Some of you have had some loss to forgive. But I want to tell you, nobody lost like God did. Because to set you free and forgive you and me of my sin and your sin, God had his son nailed to a cross. For six hours, 
the blood that flowed out of his body was paying for every sin you and I have ever committed. But that's what God had to do to forgive us of that unpayable debt. And if you've never experienced that forgiveness, God wants you to forgive. Here's the deal. God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't feel pressure to do it. God was was like, oh no, I'm going to have to put my son on the cross. God loved you so much that he was willing to let his son go to the cross so that he could set you free. You could walk out free from an unpayable debt because Jesus paid it for you. And if you've never done what I did when I was eight years old, you can do it right now today. It won't cost you anything because Jesus did it. Jesus is already, all he wants you to do is endorse the check. The thief on the cross just said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Someone in the Bible just said, I believe. All God's looking for is for you to own up to your unpayable debt and to receive Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to pray, and if you want to, you can pray this prayer after me. These aren't magic words. These are just words that call out to God. But if you're ready to do this today, and you know, you say, hey, I've tried the religion gig, and it got me nowhere. It's because you're trying to pay the deal. But if you're ready to accept Jesus, you can pray with me and accept him today. You ready? Here we go. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have an unpayable debt. But I believe Jesus died for me. Forgive me of my sin. Set me free. I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. I turn from my old way of living. And I'm following Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, part of your worship folder is detachable. There's a place where you can check a box and say, I prayed with you to receive Jesus. You can, if you put an address, you can drop it in the boxes at the back doors or at the bottom of the staircases or in the offering plate. If you put an address on there, I'll send it to you. But if you, um, if you want to, I have a, forgive me, I'm, I'm rambling here, but I got a packet I want to give you. It's got some DVDs and some great stuff to help you know how to take your step, first steps in following Jesus. If you don't want to wait to get it in the mail, all you got to do is bring your card right back to guest services or New Spring store. Just give them the card and say, you don't have to make a speech. Just say, I pray with Mark. I received Christ this morning. And they'll give it to you right now. It's free. You can take it with you. And you can start your new life following Jesus. I'm so happy for your decision. By the way, also at the New Spring store this morning, we're reading through the Bible together with the one-year Bible. You don't have to buy a Bible. You can get the website reading. But it's a reading from the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. Remember the guy who Jesus said he built his house on the rock, on the sayings of Jesus. We're doing something called Odyssey 08. We're going through the Bible together as a church. If you would like to buy a one-year Bible, we bought a bunch of them in bulk. We have a hardback. We have a leather-like cover. We also have a kid's version. And if you want to, you can pick one up at New Spring Store today. And uh, this is just great.